Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Over the last week and over these next few weeks, we've been just talking about how it's time to rediscover what it means to have biblical joy. Amen? Amen. That the church should know that having joy is normal Christianity. Right? And so, yes, we finished the series that we called Rediscovering Normal Christianity, but joy is a part of being a normal Christian. It's a part of our inheritance. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of our calling. And it's our privilege to actually carry the joy of the Lord to people who do not yet experience it. So today, we're going to go through three portions of Scripture, uh, not in these orders, but if you wanted to just mark them out. We'll get to them in a few minutes. Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 14, and Galatians chapter 5. It won't be in that order, but if you just wanted to mark your your Bible so when I get to it, you'll be there. Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 14, and Galatians chapter 5. Last week, we gave just a basic definition of biblical joy. Joy is the state of delight and well-being that results from personally knowing God. Now, if you look at that definition, it's not because all of these happy things happened to you. It's not because everything worked out right. It's not because gas prices are the lowest they've been in 30 years, and now we have a reason to be happy. Joy is the state. It's your actual state of life because you know God personally. So joy isn't something that you conjure up. Joy isn't something that you have to necessarily feel every day. Joy is a choice. It's a state of being. It's a fruit of right relationship with God. Now, we need to admit to ourselves that it is not the will of the Lord for Christians to be sad, somber, worrisome, anxious, right? Frustrated, fearful. That's absolutely not the will of the Lord for a Christian's life. It is his will for you to be and have rejoicing, to have happiness, pleasure, to have delight, to have gladness, to have enjoyment, and to have fulfillment. Jesus said that he came to give us life, life to the full. Some of your translations say the abundant life. This is the same Jesus that said, yes, you will have troubles, right? But refocus yourself because he's overcome the world. So when we don't feel like we're overcoming the world, we just look back to him. We realize, oh, wait a minute. Our Savior has overcome the world. So I can have the same joy that he had. We talked about two different kinds of joy last week. Joy being an emotion. That's something that happens to you when you feel happy on the inside. It's easy to smile physically at that time. And that's because something externally good has happened to you. You've had successful circumstances happen to you. We see in Luke chapter 13, you don't need to turn there. It's just an example of the crowd of people. It says they felt joy. They experienced happiness because there was a crippled woman who was healed. So something happened externally that actually caused them to feel that feeling or that emotion of joy. But the attitude of joy, the choice of being joyful is actually a deeper and a more consistent joy. And it's actually commanded in scripture. How many of you know you can't command somebody to feel happy, right? Smile now. 
Like you can't command that feeling in somebody. But Jesus actually commands us as Christians to have the attitude of joy. In Matthew chapter five, he tells the disciples to rejoice. It's another word for joy. To rejoice when they are persecuted and hated, knowing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of the gospel. I mentioned last week, I believe the most effective way to experience biblical joy is to first have a strong conviction that Jesus himself was, the, 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 was filled with joy. The most joyful person to ever walk the face of the earth, we have to have a strong conviction. We showed the picture, I'm not sure if the computer's working, it is. We showed the picture last week of uh, the faces, the, the, a lot of the paintings and the images that we see of Jesus growing up. He's always quite serious, always quite stern uh, looking, almost to the point of being sad and somber sometimes. We talked about some of the, the videos and the movies that we've watched before uh, with Jesus. He's like a really serious, calm uh, person. But I think what we have to realize is this. When he was serious and when he was contemplative and when he spent time with the Lord and when he rebuked his disciples and when he rebuked the Pharisees, he absolutely was serious. But all of that seriousness and all of that contemplation with the Lord was actually coming out of a root of joy. If not, he would have been the most frustrated person to ever walk the face of this earth. Picture this. All of the people that were supposed to look for all of the signs of the coming king, and he was filling every single prophecy that was, full, that was foretold in the Old Testament, and nobody saw it at first. None of the religious officials who actually were experts in the law saw it. Now, when Jesus had to call them, uh, call them out and rebuke them, that had to be rooted in joy, or he would have been so frustrated and so discouraged that he would have walked the path. Look at the people who were following him and continued to fail and mess up and get it wrong and argue. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. So he put up with all this stuff around him because he was rooted in joy. So Adam showed the picture uh, earlier, and I believe that this is the picture that we need to anchor into our mind. Yes, there'll be times of crying out to the Lord, crying in tears of joy, but also crying in tears of sorrow, repenting of our sins. Yes, there'll be serious times. I'm not trying to take that away. I'm not trying to lighten up our sacrifice for the Lord, but it has to be rooted in joy. We have to get a new image of who Jesus was. The Bible says that he was above all else filled with the joy of the Lord, more than anyone else that ever walked the face of this earth, and this is who we follow. So I want you to repeat after me as you look at this picture. Say, Jesus had joy. Jesus had joy. Say, Jesus was happy. Jesus, Jesus, laughed. Jesus laughed. Pause. Have any of you ever actually pictured Jesus belly laughing before? Yeah. <laughs> like just sitting around, and he cracks a good clean joke, and they're just laughing. It's so hard for us to see that. Just messing around with his brothers and sisters, his mom, his dad. Jesus laughed. Some of us need to laugh more. Repeat this. Jesus was fun to be around. <clears throat> and because of this, others were attracted to his message. Now repeat after me. Because I want to be like Jesus. I choose to have joy. I choose to be happy. I will find time to laugh. I will be fun to be around. Woo! 
We'll say that again. I will be fun to be around. And because of this, others will be attracted to his message through me. Come on, like what if this entire county looked at Christians as being, I'm gonna mess this up, Mrs. Carter. The most fun, it's not the funnest. I messed it up last Tuesday. Most fun to be around. Mrs. Carter is our English teacher at CCA. If we were the most fun to be around, people were attracted to us because we were happy, we were filled with joy, there was something magnetic about Christians that once they got around us, they wanted to know why. What do you have that's different? Even some of us that that walk like in compassion or even power, if we do that so seriously and so sternly, people don't want to be around us. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus. And then they heard his message and they said, if that's what he has because of this message, because of this kingdom, I want what he has. This This is like part of witnessing is to have joy. Not just to pull out the card while you're miserable and cranky and you've been complaining the whole time because the line's been too long. And then you ask the person, if they died today, where would they go? They'd probably say, not where you are. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be near you for all of eternity. Right? Again, I'm just going to keep qualifying this. It doesn't mean every day is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean everything's always going to go right. I'm not setting you up for bad things. We should believe and trust in the favor of the Lord that things are going to work out for you in life. At the same time, I'm not trying to like sugarcoat it and just say, oh yeah, it's just going to be all, we're going to be floating on clouds. No, it's a choice to have joy. I woke up cranky yesterday, Saturday morning. I woke up feeling like I slept for like 35 minutes. And what Sharice and I talked about it, I didn't smile a lot or talk, like necessarily talk a lot, but it was like a corrective attitude in myself, just quiet, like, okay, I'm choosing to have joy on the inside. I'm not going to be all ruffled or anything like that. And I woke up today and I even made a mention uh, to my, to my wife that I felt like I slept longer. Then I, as I was praying the rest of the morning, I'm like, no, I actually don't feel like I slept anymore. I'm like, actually really tired, but I'm choosing to have joy. Like, I'm gonna choose to have the joy of the Lord. He had a joy that sent him to the cross to shed his blood and die for me. What in the world is in my life that is too hard to face, that is above what he did for me? And yet he walked that out with joy. So I want us to see this connection. His joy and our joy, the connection of what Jesus had and what we can have comes into place in what is called the new covenant. We have talked about this several times. I just want to lay this out because this is how we can understand that it actually is in our inheritance to have the joy that Jesus had, okay? So throughout all the Old Testament, there was the old covenant. That agreement was between God and man Man was responsible for holding his side of the bargain or her side of the bargain. Guess what happened? We failed miserably, right? We couldn't hold up to all of the regulations and all of the rules and all of the laws. So because we continued to fail on our side of the covenant, we were never at peace with God. We were never right with God. We were never forgiven of our sins for all of eternity from God. Enter in the perfect life the perfect sacrifice, the perfect resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and now we have the new covenant. The main difference in this covenant is it wasn't between God and earthly man at first. 
It was between God and Jesus because Jesus was the one to live the perfect life. Jesus was the one to fulfill all of the law. Jesus was the one to shed his blood for that perfect sacrifice. So we have God and Jesus in covenant with one another. Guess what? That covenant's not going to break, is it? No, Jesus is never going to fail God. It's impossible. So now the Bible says when we surrender our lives to Jesus, right? We say, I'm done with my old selfish ways, my old sinful nature. And we come into Christ. It says we're hidden in Christ. and We become one with Christ. So if we become one with Christ, guess where Christ is? He's in covenant with God. Another uh, term that Jesus used for this new covenant was the coming of his kingdom. When he came, he said, repent, change the way you think, turn from your wicked ways because the kingdom of God is at hand. It means it's here, it's tangible, you can touch it. So the kingdom of God is what we as Christians live in, in this new covenant. Now, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He would talk about what it looked like and how people acted, how to interact with other believers. But Paul also talked about this kingdom quite often. One of the places I want to look at is Romans chapter 14. If you had it marked, uh, you can look at verse 8. I'm just going to kind of <clears throat> skip around some of these verses here. But Paul's talking about Christ and then about how we can interact in this kingdom of God. Now, when we think about the kingdom of God, when you think about a kingdom real quick, a kingdom is anywhere where a king rules and reigns, okay? It's a king's domain. So the kingdom of God shows up anytime a person puts their heart under the ruling and the reigning of King Jesus. So now they're saying, I'm looking to my heavenly father, I'm looking to Jesus as my king, as my ruler, as the one who reigns in my life, the kingdom of God has come upon them. Jesus also said if somebody's healed of a sickness or if a demon is cast out in the name of Jesus, that the kingdom of God has come upon them. So the kingdom of God can be seen in the natural, but it's a spiritual reality that actually lives within the life of a believer. And Paul's talking a little bit about uh, Jesus as our Lord here. And then he goes on to talk about the kingdom of God. In verse eight, it says, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So he's establishing here in this kingdom that we're in, in this new covenant, that we're in Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. We've died to ourselves and now we live to him. He says, for this very reason, Christ died and he returned to life so that, we, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. He's making it quite clear. In verse 11, he goes on, as surely as I say, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. We are in an unshakable kingdom. <clears throat> We're in a kingdom that's gonna continue to expand and expand and take ground. We're not just surviving until Jesus returns. We're making progress and occupying and expanding the kingdom of God until he returns. Sometimes we get so caught up, like just watch one of the Christian channels from like eight o'clock until midnight. You could spend every single night trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return. And he says he doesn't know, only the Father knows. We're trying to gain this knowledge so we can just get this storehouse of stuff so we can survive the bad times. We're never called to survive. Absolutely not. We're called to continue to take new ground and then occupy that ground 
When he is ready, he'll return. Our assignment is to occupy. He's actually given us that assignment. We can do that with joy. I can't wait till he returns. I just want to get out of this, you know, this mess and this and this. No, 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 no. Occupy it with a, with a fulfilled life, with an abundant life. And when he's ready, he'll return. He'll absolutely return. He goes on in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us pa- stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Well, we talked about this a little bit last week. When we compare ourselves to other people, it steals our joy automatically. We start looking at everybody else that has things better than us, and it kills our joy. Well, the reverse can be true too. If we pass judgment on people, we're like, well, look at what this person's doing. Look what they're doing. Look at this. That'll steal your joy too. One place you put yourself as like some you know, low peon that everybody else is better than you. And the other time you put yourself in the, in the judge's throne. Neither is appropriate. You are a child of God. And because of that, you have the right to walk in joy. Now, some of these verses that follows up, there were a lot of Jewish regulations and laws about what food they can eat and can't eat in the old covenant. And then God says, it's all clean. Like it's all clean. There's no more Jew, Gentile. It's all clean to me. What Paul was saying here is this. You have freedom as a believer. But if you're eating something, and this is why these regulations were all very well known in the Jewish culture. If you're eating something that you have no conviction about, but somebody over here has a strong conviction that it's still unclean and you eat it, you're becoming a stumbling block. So what he's saying is he's teaching us how to operate in the kingdom is we have all the freedom that we could ever want in the kingdom. And yet it is our responsibility and our privilege to live in such a way that does not cause other believers a stumbling block for other believers. It's a way of honoring others above yourself. So we limit our freedoms for the sake of other people growing in Christ Jesus. So after he talks about food and all these regulations and what you should, shouldn't, or you know, what they knew of, of what they should and shouldn't eat, in verse 17 he says, for the kingdom of God, this is what we live in. It's the spiritual reality in which we live in. It's our domain with God as our ruler, Jesus as our Lord. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and say it, joy in the Holy Spirit. So he's, put, he's picking out three spiritual realities that make up the kingdom of God in which we live. One is righteousness, one is peace, and the other is joy. So he's saying, Paul's like, listen, the kingdom of God is not made up of natural things that you, you're eating and drinking. It entails spiritual realities. And if you look at these things, when you eat and you drink, what are you usually thinking about? Are you thinking about other people when you're eating and drinking? No, you're, really, you're thinking about, like, this tastes so good for me, and how much more can I eat until I'm full, and I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. So if you even look at the comparison, one is a, a self-centered motive, and eating's like a good thing, eat and drink enough, right? But it's self-centered, it, it, you're thinking about yourself. Now, when you think of righteousness, peace, and joy, you could think that those are all focused on yourself, but they're actually not. If you live, if you're living righteously, You're actually living in such a way that other people get what God wants them to get in life because they see the nature of God working through you. So you're not living a righteous life so you can say, I'm a good person, right? You're living a righteous life to honor God with your life so that other people will see your good works and do what? Thank you for it, give you a trophy, a crown, a medal? Absolutely not. 
They'll see your good works, and then they'll give glory to the Father because of it. So righteousness is actually for the benefit of other people. Peace. Now, a lot of times when you think of peace, like all of us Christians can afford to have more peace. Some desperately need more peace. So when we think of peace, we would think it benefits us, right? But actually, peace, when you, when you actually are able to live in a calm state, focused on the Lord, in the midst of trouble, you're walking in peace. Jesus released peace everywhere that he went. So we were never intended to keep peace to ourselves. We were meant to release that where we went. So what that happens is when you're living in it, we've talked about this before. If, you were, if you're in like a gathering, a family gathering, and somebody walks into the room, if they carry a lot of tension and anxiety and frustration in their life, you can actually feel it. And when somebody walks in and they're carrying the peace of the Lord with them, you can actually feel it. You're like, wow. Like you could actually feel yourself relax in their presence. That's what Jesus, he could, he could rebuke somebody and correct somebody and walk his life out, but he was a man of peace. So people wanted to be around him. So peace isn't just for our benefit either. And then we look at joy. Obviously, we can look at joy from a perspective of when we have joy, the feeling that it helps us to have, and the, all, the peace that combines with it as we're walking in that state of satisfaction because we know Jesus. But true biblical joy does not stop with yourself. It serves for everyone else that you are interacting with in life, that's struggling with sadness, anxiety, depression, worry, all those things can be broken when we just bring the joy of the Lord into their life. So yes, carry joy for your own satisfaction of knowing you're right with God, but don't hold it in for yourself. That's actually pride. You know that? If you hold your joy in and you're only having your good old time by yourself, you're thinking that you deserve it more than other people, and then that's pride. So our joy should actually be carried for the benefit of other people. So how do we actually access this joy? How do we know that it's God's will for us? Well, first, we know that it's part of the kingdom of God, right? Second, what I want to share is from Galatians 5, chapter 22, or, uh, verse 22. We know that in the kingdom of God is joy, so it's part of our inheritance. We know it's in that package. It's also helpful to know who we are receiving it from, so we know who to ask for. In Galatians chapter 5, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Is that a lowercase s or a capital S? It's a capital S. So he's not talking about our human spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit because it's capitalized there. But he's saying the fruit of the Spirit. See, the moment we say yes to Jesus, the moment we receive salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment, a guarantee of what is yet to come, but also a guide and a counselor right here and now, an advocate, a teacher. And he's also the giver of all of this fruit. And it says here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, say it, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now think about fruit. Certain fruit comes from certain trees, right? Apples come from... Oranges come from, okay, this is pretty simple. If we think about what our root system is, the Bible says that when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we are rooted in Christ. Once we're rooted in Christ, we have the Spirit of God in us flowing through our trunk, flowing through our branches, flowing through our leaves. 
So the only fruit that should be, be that should bear in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. Nothing in our life should be bearing anxiety, anger, frustration, gloominess, looking, looking for a bad future. None of that stuff. It's not matching up with what your root system is, if that's what the fruit is in your life. Now, I want you to see something also. The word fruit there in that verse is singular. We look at this sometimes as fruits of the Spirit. So we look at all of these different things as, uh, as separate. Like God's okay if I have a lot of kindness and a lot of gentleness and a little bit of self-control and not really any joy at all. No, that's not what it is. The Holy Spirit brings the whole bowl of fruit to you at one time. It's the whole package is ours. We have access to it as soon as Christ is our Lord and our Savior. I think sometimes we say, well, I need a little bit more of this. I need a little bit more of that. I'm praying God for more patience. No, listen, pray for more of the Holy Spirit in your life a bigger reality of what the Holy Spirit is already doing in your life, a revelation of who the Spirit of God is already living in you. And then you'll realize, wait a minute, he's already given me this fruit. I believe the only way that we are not walking in the fruit of the Spirit is if we reject it when he first offers it to us, if we lay it down sometime in our life through disobedience, rebellion, whatever it is, or if sometime in our life we open up uh, the door for the devil to come in and steal it. I believe some of us, just because of like past abuse or past situations, whatever it is, I believe some of us are rejecting the fruit of the Spirit without even knowing it. So this is, we can work backwards then. If you are not seeing one of these aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, I know we're talking about joy, but patience, any of these things, if you're not seeing the level that you believe is included in the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Ask the Father, why? Father, will you show me the root of the issue of why I'm unable to receive your gift of joy in my life? Like actually spend time talking to him, have a pad next to you, have your Bible next to you, and start to write things down. And start to find scriptures that give revelation on that. And God will take you through a process and he'll bring you into the true joy that Jesus has for you. Are you with me on that? Instead of just walking in frustration, well, I wish I could do this. I wish I could have the smile that Jesus had. I wish I could feel, you know, what the word's saying. Ask him why not. He'll teach us. Remember, the same one who's your advocate and your teacher and your counselor is the same one who's giving you this fruit. He wants you to have it. So spend time with him and ask him, what's going on? So we know it's a part of the kingdom. We know the giver of joy is the Holy Spirit. One more step I want to talk about is how to actually access it from the Holy Spirit. If you go to Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to a full city of Jews from all different areas on the day of Pentecost. We've talked about Pentecost several weeks back. This is when the Holy Spirit fell upon believers for the first time. They were speaking in other tongues and other languages and people, these Jews from these different regions were hearing them. So Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And in one portion of his sermon, he refers back to Psalm 16, which prophesies about Jesus. <clears throat> so Peter's introducing it here in verse 23. It says, this man was handed over, uh, over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death 
because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I mean, these are some powerful statements that Peter is preaching to these uh, non-believers at the time, and they're wondering. They're coming to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival, and Peter's bringing him the, them the gospel message. Adam, you and your team can come forward at this time. And then he goes back, and he's referring to Psalm 16 here. It says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Now, we have, we, we have sung that, that, that uh, song here maybe a year ago. It was, it was with us for a long time. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. We're making these statements. This is a life-changing verse, guys. If we can catch what David was saying, because the Lord was always with me, because I knew he was at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It's not just because I feel rough and tough one day and I'm stronger than you. No, it's because the Lord has always been with me. There's a revelation of the presence of God, and this is before Jesus ever came to earth. David knew that God's presence was always with him. Therefore, I will not be shaken. It's a beautiful revelation, but so simple. He's always with me. How can I be shaken? The creator of everything we see and we don't see is with me. How could I be shaken? He goes on to say in verse 26, therefore, my heart is glad. You know what that means? Happy to rejoice. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. There's an actual overflow of what was happening on the inside of him. He's saying, I feel joy. I have joy. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm steadfast in my ways, but it's an overflow. It says, my tongue rejoices. He says, my body also will live in hope because you, which is God, will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One, which was a prophecy about Jesus, see decay. Verse 28 is where I want to, to end at today. It says, you have made known to me the paths of life. This is before Jesus. This is before eternal life was possible through his blood. But this is David prophesying many, many years later. You will fill me with joy in your presence. There are so many other aspects that David could have chose to talk about here. But he's saying, I'm not going to be shaken because you're always around me. I'm going to be glad. My heart's going to be glad. My tongue's going to rejoice because I know you're here. I know you're close. But I'm going to say it again. You've, you've showed me the ways of life, Father. And in your presence, one of the translations, I think it's the, uh, the ESV, when it's referred back to Psalm 16, says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Say that. In God's presence is fullness of joy. That word fullness is a figurative meaning of having a full stomach, being fully satisfied, having all that you want. It implies abundance. I want you to follow that out now. So David's prophesying and he's saying, in God's presence, there is an abundance, an overflowing, a I've eaten to my full, but there's more to come, joy. That's why it doesn't just stop with us now, right? When that joy begins to overflow in abundance because you have more than enough, that's when you become happy, even in difficult circumstances. That's when other people say, hey, do you know that couple? Do you know that person? Do you know that family? They're fun to be around. 
I wanna know what's different about them. All the way back from David's time, he's prophesying of what Jesus would bring into our life. Now think about this. If there was a reliable attorney that worked with wills and estates, and they told you, they came to you and he said, you have a right to millions of dollars because of the family, the, the lineage that you're in. We've researched things because of the family you're in, you deserve millions of dollars. And he stopped. Probably the next question would be, where do I go to find these millions of dollars? What do I do next? And if this attorney said, okay, I want you to go down the road, I want you to make a left, I want you to make a right, and stop at the green building, and I want you to sit there and wait until a specific person comes to hand you the money. Would you waste time? Would you say, okay, I have to go to work there. I'll get there later. Absolutely not. You'd cancel all appointments. You'd call your, I'm sick today, boss. Whatever you need to You'd walk down the street, you'd make your left, you'd make your right, you'd go to that building and you'd sit and you'd wait. But you wouldn't wait and get bored. You wouldn't wait and get frustrated. You wouldn't wait and lose hope. You'd say, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You'd have full assurance. The money's already mine. That person's on its way. He will deliver. Now we would do all that for natural riches. And we see the spiritual riches of joy we know it's ours because of our inheritance. We're in the family of God. We know who gives it through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And now David's saying, where do you get it? Where does the Holy Spirit give it to you? In God's presence. So saying, enter into my presence and there'll be a fullness of joy. So I would think at that time, when we realize that we should cancel all appointments, push everything else aside and go into his presence. And this is where we get caught up because we think there's a certain way to do it, right? We think that there's a right way and a wrong way to be in his presence. And there's not, folks. Think about somebody you love, a mom, a dad, a wife, a, a child, whatever. You don't go to them the same way and like do the same repetition thing. No, there's fluidity, there's life, there's love, there's intimacy, there's uniqueness about it. So some of you might go in very quiet and just listen to the Lord and you spend time there. Some of you might dance around to loud, fast music in his presence. Some of you might weep before the Lord. Some of you might spend time just reading God's word. You're like, well, I'm not sure if I'm praying or reading. It's both. Read and pray to him while you're reading, right? Some of you might set your Bible aside and just talk to him, and then you open your Bible and you categorize things. I'm telling you today, the most important thing to do is just get in his presence. Just get there with expectation and faith that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. I'm going through this, I'm going through that. I feel like I slept for 45 minutes, whatever it is, that you get into his presence and say, here today, I'm receiving the fullness of your joy. Abundance, abundance of joy is accessible to you today. So for those of you, you can stand at this time. For those of you, who spend time very quiet. You can stand there quietly, but it might be hard to do. For those of you who like to celebrate the Lord, we're going to celebrate his presence. Some of you think, well, I'm gonna get my Bible out and my journal out. That's fine, you can do that too. But we're gonna celebrate who God is today. We're gonna celebrate the joy that he can give us and receive by faith a greater measure of joy than you had when you walked in, amen? You're welcome to come forward. We're going to spend the next few minutes worshiping the Lord. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.